Thank you, Mr. Bard, and thank you for introducing myself and Ali back on the third episode of Tiny Tavern Talks, guys. Welcome back again. This is the third week. We're talking about more builds, more ways to play the game, and this time also we're going to talk about a new region, the Iridia Ruins. So we have a lot of content to dive into. Ali, how's it going? Uh, it's great. It's been it's been nice seeing the the shorts pop off. <laughs> Yeah, I know. This week's shorts uh, have been actually better performing than last week's, funny enough. But you said something that's actually like made me think that this week, the characters aren't as strong, yet they're more, I guess, uh, entertaining or more uh, people get attached to them easier, I guess? Yes, they're they're easier to pick up and use. They're, they perform really well. They're, they're still above average. But they are not mid-maxed entirely there's a lot of wiggle room for you as a player to like improve it however you see fit but as a most the whole character class is complete and it's playable and it's so much fun to use i'm excited to show people this week uh, what we got cooking uh, also on a side note the scheduling times might have been different for those following our channel uh, on our multitude of uh, outlets it's due to the fact that i'm now overseas and our time zones between me and ali have been very different and we've been trying to figure out uh, the best times to record together and to uh, keep pushing the content. So thanks again, guys, for keeping up with us. And uh, if like you guys log in at the same time, you don't find a video, don't worry. It's still going to show up on the same day. Probably it's going to be like a two, three hour difference. Uh, but yeah, let's get down into it. So first things first. Yep. The first character we're going to talk about today is the Flute Charmer, a U1T that goes by the name of Serpentia. Can you please enlighten us about this beautiful lady? Okay, so first things first, as the name suggests, she's a flute charmer. Uh, she's a U1T, which is like a snake-like race, like a humanoid snake-like race. They are one of my favorite races for two reasons. Before they got reworked in, in MOM, they were considered, in my opinion, the strongest race. Having immunities to poison damage, magic resistance, so they have advantage on saving throws against spells. They get free spell casting, unlimited use to speak with animals, with snakes. They were very flavorful and very strong as well. But now with mom, they got toned down a bit, but they're still strong, I would say. So, I know yeah. a lot of people uh, lived uh, the fantasy of the Yuan-Ti in the Shalt uh, zone. They, they had some very fun Yuan-Ti's there, huh? Yeah, Yuan-Ti and Shalt is my, one of the strongest uh, race choices. Because nice, there's nice. a lot of snakes, a lot of other UNTs. So since we incorporated UNT into Eldalor, how do the UNTs fit in this new world? And the Flute Charmer, what's her role in everything? So give us a background about this character. So in the world we're building, there's an area in the desert that's called, that, that basically where the snake sages reside. I'm going to wait for the video where it talks about the area in more detail. But just keep in mind that UNTs have a very strong role in, a strong role in this area. Uh, from the idea of uh, uh, political structure, their influence, they're a very strong race. And UNT usually, in most campaigns other than Schult, you rarely see them or rarely hear about them. So I thought it would be very interesting to use them in this region take a new take of their of their traits and personalities and how they interact and the snake charmer to be more specific she's uh, an archaeologist all right she's interested about the fallen runes yes the fallen runes discovering more about her culture about her predecessors about what happened and all that encompasses archaeology i guess so on a, on a small side note to tell uh, our listeners, so if you guys have been listening, every week we talk about a party of four, we get to level 12. It's basically a fantasy of a character that encompasses an idea for each character you want to build. We put them together to make them synergistic, but they can also work separately and you can fit them everywhere. First week we had, uh, we explained like sort of the, the general conflict around the Arden Way, so we brought characters a bit of everywhere. Second episode was all about the Guardians. And now, lastly, this week, we're talking about the expedition. So basically, like you said, archaeologists. So it's going to be the theme of people diving into ruins and 
places that have been long forgotten, am I right? Yes, basically this party consists of uh, archaeologists, as I said earlier, and a sage uh, or a scholar that records history in his trusty book, their uh, mercenary bodyguard, and the local guide that will show them around the area. All right, so let's start off with Serpentia. What's her build? What's the class? And what did you do to build it? Okay, so Serpentia starts her first level as a bard. And, and obviously she's a UNT. So as a UNT, she gets uh, magic resistance, poison resilience now with mom, plus she gets serpentine spellcasting. She can cast animal friendship unlimited times as long as she's targeting an, a snake. And at third level, she gets suggestion and she could use it once per long rest. And she can use it as much as, as much time as she wants with her uh, second level slots. And the spell casting modifier for this would be charisma. And as a bard, we get first level spell casting. We get uh, three proficiencies and three musical instruments proficiencies. We get Barding Inspiration. And for her stats, we're going with point by as usual. And uh, basically, this is how it goes. 8 points in Strength, 13 in Dexterity, 14 in Constitution, 12 in Intelligence, 10 in Wisdom, and 15 in Charisma. And for her racials, we're going to put 1 point in Dexterity and 2 points in Charisma, putting our Charisma at 17. Now, at her second level, we're going to multi-class. We're going to multi-class into Warlock, picking up the sub the subclass uh, Arcfey. And uh, at level 1 Warlock, we get, obviously, Eldritch Blast, Pact Magic, and uh, the subclass feature, Fae Presence. So we're already hitting Bard and Warlock? Yeah, one level each so far. <laughs> that starts off pretty strong, so... Yeah, a lot of people you, would are, say that multiclassing outside of a spellcaster early detriments them. But in this case, specifically, because you pick up Elder Blast, you have a consistent DPR ability. Plus, you have the fun spells of Bard and the short rest spell slots of Warlock. So it's actually a very uh, nice multiclass early. Yeah. Short resting, getting back no. your spells is really strong. So are you playing her like a deceitful person or like a... Well, of so, course, charismatic bard and warlock, but like, yeah, go for it. Percent. So I don't want I don't want to limit UNT as deceitful, heartless creatures, as in, as in like when you see them in the sword coast, for example. Uh, I would like to take the freedom in our world that we're building, where UNTs could come in different attitudes and different depending on the way where they're from and their backgrounds, and specifically. The flute charmer is that a charmer. She's her gameplay translates into control, consistent damage, avoiding certain encounters with her charisma, playing around, convincing, getting the ability to cast suggest. She's very she's basically utilizing her charisma as best as possible through damage and through manipulation. Now we take our second, our third level. We're gonna go second level warlock, picking up our eldritch invocation, and we're taking agonizing blast and repelling blast. And since she's a UNT, she gets her third level uh, racial feature, giving her the ability to cast suggestion. Now at this level, you can cast suggestion no problems, even though it's a second level spell, but you can only cast it once per long rest. And since you don't have any second level spell slots, you can't use it in your. Un Till you get those spell slots. And yeah, with that, that was our last Warlock level. And from now on, we're going to be focusing on Bard. Going level 4 and Bard level 2. Picking up Jack of All Trades. Song of Rest. Jack of All Trades giving us half proficiency on all ability scores. And Song of Rest allowing us to recover amount of HP during short rests. And then at fifth level, we're going to be a Bard 3, picking up our Bard College and taking College of Lore, which ties greatly with her archaeologist background, plus it ties greatly with the gameplay potential. 
And we also get two expertise. I'm going for history and survival. Since her stats and charisma are already high, I would like to I would like her if she could like focus on other things as well, like history, archaeology, <laughs> and survival. Finding So you 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 want her to be good in combat and of course within the lore of the world and RP wise. Yes, because even if you see if, as a DM not so you could recruit uh, Tell me more about this, but recently the newer campaigns focus a lot about outside of combat interactions and how to avoid specific count- combat encounters with your skills. Well, yeah, of course, if you look at the the, the Feywild campaign into the Witchlight, you can play the whole campaign without fighting once, utilizing out of combat skills and abilities, proficiencies to get away with everything you want, essentially. And I like that because... Combat's not everything. Some people do love the combat. Some people play D&D just for the combat. Other people thrive only in the role play aspect of the game. So now that I find there's like a good balance between both, it's pretty interesting. And I've always wondered, like as a DM, well, before DMing when I played the game, I actually made like a, a Tomb Raider type of character where I artifact hunt and I wanted to do more of that outside of combat. And at that time, there wasn't as many developed uh, i guess scenarios and campaigns for it as just like now there's not there wasn't as many resources so yeah no you building a character that can do just that actually tickles my fancy in terms of how i want to play this character that's good to hear (laughs) now at fifth level we also get cutting words which is a very nice way to help your allies an ability every dm hates And then, yeah, at fourth level, we're, we're sticking with Bard and getting our ability score improvements. And here we're going to take the feat, a feat that's called Fate Touched. Now, Fate Touched allows us to uh, increase any ability score. And for this, we're going to take Charisma, rounding up our ability scores to 18. And we get Misty Step as a spell. And we also get to pick a level one spell. And I'm going for Bless. Now, being able to cast Bless, helping your allies land their attacks, doing their saving throws is very clutch. And as a single character, it's strong on its own. And specifically in this party, where we don't have access to a cleric that could cast Bless consistently, having it around level 6 is very strong. Not as strong as level 1, obviously, but it still helps with stronger enemies that have higher ACs and a lot of saving throws abilities. Now, moving on to level 7, we're going to be 5th level bards. And uh, when you reach level level 5 in bard, you get a font of inspiration. Every time you short rest or long rest, you recover all your expended uses of barding inspirations. So now your short rest for you (laughs) are the go-to. At level 6, now moving on as well, we get counter charm, which is now we're talking total levels 8. You gain the ability to use musical notes or words to power, of power to disrupt mind-influencing effect. As an action, you can start performance that lasts until the end of your next turn. During that time, you and any friendly creature within 30 feet of you have advantage on saving throws against being frightened or charmed. A creature must be able to hear you to gain this benefit. The performance ends early if you are incapacitated or silenced. This, at first, I was like, when I was thinking about it, it felt like a very underwhelming ability. But why? Why is that? A, okay, because it only gives you advantage on saving throws against being charmed or frightened. Okay. But then I realized that the the higher levels we get, the more detrimental these effects become. Frightened or charmed can straight up remove one of your allies from combat encounters and specifically when you know that you're encountering an enemy that looks terrifying for example (laughs) or you're encountering a devil for example and you know how their allure is being able to use counter charm comes in clutch so many times but the highlight of this level is you get additional magic secrets now, of course, you can pick your favorites here, but I would recommend Phantom Seed and Revivify. Revivify, so you can revive your allies. Yes. And Phantom Seed for that out the in, in combat and outside of combat movement. Being able to move and cast Eldritch Blast and pushing enemies around, casting spells on, on the move, running away, 
being somewhere safe is very clutch. Okay. Yeah. I see. I see where you go, I see where this is going. Now you specifically said before we're gonna keep going into fully bard right now, right? So it's gonna go up until level twelve. Yes, with bard. Okay, I see. And what? Well, why? Why didn't you go into anything else? Why did you keep going with bard? And what are the next levels advantages that bard's gonna be bringing us? So, mostly this character is a spellcaster. So I wanted to get as many spells as we can, while as well picking up magical secrets at level 10 of Bard. Because Bards, they get magical secrets at level 6 and at level 10. All right, and so at level 12... At level 12, we're going to get our magical secrets for level 10. Okay, I see. If I were to multiclass anywhere else, it would have been 9 Bard or 8 Bard, and we would have missed out on a very strong feature for Bards. But yeah, and what are we picking not, as a magical secret? For 10th uh, level? Well, yeah, when we get to level for 12. Tenth? Yeah, when we get to level 12, it's going to be Wall of Force and Bigsby's Hand. Wall of, Wall of Force is really strong. <laughs> Extremely strong. Uh, it's immune to all damage. You can decide how you want to place it. You can use it to trap enemies, uh, isolate enemies outside of fights, protect your allies. So many uses. And also Bigsby's Hand. Bigsby's Hand is a personal favorite. Having a broken, strong mage hand at your command that's able to carry you. You can fly with it. It could grapple enemies. It could push enemies, it does so much damage and it's consistent yeah, it, with its damage it has a high strength score <laughs> I have yet to see someone pick it from when I DM but uh, I always yeah. wonder why people don't pick it it's it's a, it's a hidden gem <laughs> See, yeah it is It is. yeah other than the usual 10 levels in Bard nothing is out of the ordinary you can pick your favorite when it comes to spells but make sure to pick support and control options mostly Okay, okay, I see. Uh, any la closing comment on this character before we move to the next one? And anything like you want to like, give a tip and trick about people and how to implement it into their campaigns? or? So if you're playing a campaign, like we gave example earlier, Schultz, this would be a very interesting character. A very strong character and a character that would feel right to play. A lot of times you might want to play a character that doesn't fit with the campaign. Right, for example, wanting to play... A captain of a boat and a non-ocean character. A non-ocean campaign. Yeah, it doesn't work, right? But this character works, and not only in Schult, any campaign that might have dungeon delving, intrigue, old cultures, history. This this character performs greatly. Race in this character as well, I would be like, is interchangeable. You could go for a variant human to pick up your feet early. You can pick up. There's so many options, but I still believe that even from an optimized perspective, being picking a UNT and having that magic resistance and having that poison resilience are very important. Sounds good. So we're going to be moving from what seems to be a very 3D, 4D character to probably what I would consider out of the builds that we're doing today a very two-dimensional character and this one actually got a very interesting comment on youtube the shifter that we're building his name is oh the furry if I were... oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> well he's not a furry he's a shifter he can shift to anything yeah. he wants it's gonna be up to him so yeah what would you give us a give us a little background on him and for those who don't know his name is grizak the veteran defender yes so creating this character i wanted to create a a hardy mercenary someone that defends his allies frontlining protecting, but being versatile at the same time. For race, I went for shifter. And shifters, so for those that don't know, are humanoids with a bestial aspect. They have like small bestial aspects around, whether they have furry arms or uh, fangs, for example. And then they can also have the ability to shift when they basically go full transformation mode. <laughs> And for their shifting, they have uh, a lot of options between Beast Hide, Long Tooth, Swift Stride, and Wild Hunt. And for this build specifically, I'm going for Wild Hunt. 
And what it does is the following. Shifting. As a bonus action, you can assume a more bestial appearance. This transformation lasts for one minute or until you die. And you get temporary hit points equal to two times your proficiency bonus. And you can shift times equal to your proficiency bonus. And for the effect we're going for is Wild Hunt. And it basically makes it so whenever you shift, enemies never... Uh, while you have... Basically, enemies can't have attacks of advantage against you. Enemies within the 30 feet, that is. Remove the advantage that the enemy can have on yourself, which is really good. Basically. Yes, it's extremely good, and I'm going to basically exploit this. <laughs> and okay, this so, now, and the best... so now we're, yeah. we're talking about the shifter shifting wild, uh, wild hunt. We st you said he was a mercenary. What combination of class did you use to make people uh, live their mercenary dreams? I know there's a background for it in D&D where you could like do the mercenary background, but mercenary as a class, yes. yeah, as a class, what did you use to make the fantasy come to life? And well, why, why the specific combination? I went barbarian, fighter, and rogue. That's okay. So it's three multi-classing. All right. All right. Sounds good. Yes, there's three classes here, and and I'll go into more details with each level. And for but for our abilities, we're gonna go for fifteen strength, thirteen dexterity, fifteen constitution, eight intelligence, twelve wisdom, and eight charisma. Putting one point from our size, putting one point in constitution, one point in strength, and one point in dexterity. And a very important thing for this character is our equipments. For this character, we want to go for gold by method. Okay, that's right? very specific. And since, yes, we want to go gold by method, and or we could do the better option, starting off as a fighter. Okay, and picking up a rapier, scale mail, and a shield. Because if we started off as a barbarian. We our starting gold is very low, and the equipment starting equipment doesn't give us the options that we want, and we really want a rapier for this build. It's a dexterity build, and, right? It's a strength build. Oh, strength build. So, okay. So a very uh, miscommunicated fact about rapiers and finesse weapons is most people think that they only scale with dexterity, which is false because it gives you the option for them to scale with their dexterity. They can, by default, scale with strength, no problems. So you're going to go with the strength oh. route for the rapier. Okay, that's interesting to know. Yes. Now, at level one, uh, as we said earlier, the background is the mercenary veteran. Yeah. And yeah, at level one, we're going to start with fighter. Uh, and for fighting style, we're picking up dueling, giving us two raw on attacks and give, getting the feature second wind. But right away at level two, we're going to pick up barbarian to take a rage in our unarmored defense. We don't really care about our unarmored defense because we're wearing scale mail and scale mail right now giving us 16 AC plus the plus two from our shield rounding up our AC at 18. And since scale mail is not heavy armor, we still can benefit from uh, raging. Hence why I put I bumped up the dexterity to 14 so we can optimize it. Uh, at level three, we're going to go barbarian again. So two levels of barbarian picking up reckless attack. Now, this is the reason why I went shifter. Reckless attack, what it does is the following. At level two, you you basically get advantage on your attacks, but at disadvantage of enemies having advantage against you on their attacks. And a shifter- so you, you, wanna nullify, you wanna nullify the bad part of reckless attack through the shifter. Basically. Smart. Right, so right now you're attacking with advantage with no disadvantage, <laughs> and uh, rage obviously increases your damage equal to your strength if you're using a weapon, a martial weapon, actually any weapon for that regard, and you also get danger sense. Danger sense makes uh, have advantage on dexterity saving throws effects that you can see, such as traps and spells, but you can't be blinded, deafened, for you to get this effect. Now, after level two, after level three, I mean, we're going to go level four, our third level in Barbarian, picking up our subclass, our uh, primal path, which is Ancestral Guardian. That's Ancestral a nice, uh, uh, yeah. sub, nice subclass. It's fun to play. It's the tank Barbarian. <laughs> yeah, you get it's basically, uh, stand behind me. Yeah. Basically. <laughs> now, 
When you enter your rage, the first creature you hit with an attack on your turn becomes the target of the warriors, which hinders its attacks. Until the start of your next turn, that target has disadvantage on any attack roll that isn't against you. And when the target hits a creature other than you with an attack, that creature has resistance to the damage dealt by the attack. So you can single out an enemy, and if you attack them with advantage, since you're reckless attacking, they don't. If they try to attack anyone else, they have disadvantage, and your ally has resistance to that damage. And then we're gonna take our fifth level, and we're gonna go barbarian still, picking up our ability score improvements, but picking up our strength by two. And at level six is gonna be our last barbarian level. Fifth level in, getting extra attack and fast movement. Fast movement increases your speed by 10 while you're not wearing heavy armor, so that applies to us as well. So clearly by level 6, your character is pretty solid. Like even without like the multi-classic yeah. into rogue, the character seems pretty balanced and pretty solid to fit in almost any campaign. Yeah, so far, yeah. And the whole character, being a mercenary, can fit literally in any campaign. It's literally one of the most used hooks in any <laughs> campaign. You're True, a mercenary a... and you're bodyguarding X. It's a, <laughs> it's a very stereotypical uh, type of hook and background to mm -hmm. choose. And yeah, at level 7, we're going to pick up our last fighter level as well, taking action surge. And we're going to move to rogue. Now, so I take it from level 8 to 12, we're strictly rogue, right? From 8 to 12, no, from yeah, from 8 to 12, strictly rogue, correct. Yeah. Okay. Five levels. Now, at rogue, I'm going to first explain a lot of things since now rogue is on the table. You are using a finesse weapon that scales with strength. That's a very important thing. You always have advantage on your attacks. So what that basically means is you, you can sneak attack with your reckless attack, plus it scales with strength, and then add a bonus as well. It's a finesse weapon, right? So, uh, sorry, you can proc sneak attack with advantage. It's a finesse weapon, so you can do the extra damage. And it scales with strength. So even if you're raging, you add the bonus from your rage damage, you add the bonus from sneak attacks on every turn whenever you do an attack. Okay, so let's, let's simplify it for people, because even for me, you lost me a bit there. So you oh, said sorry. that you, as a rogue right now, get the mm -hmm. advantage of doing the sneak attack, right? But also, you have a finesse yes. weapon. So yes. put it in, 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 simply put, you want to link the barbarian's reckless attack with the sneak attack Utilizing your strength mm -hmm. on a finesse weapon. Correct. Okay. So now it's all making sense. Because, yes, because sneak attacks only apply with finesse weapons. And, and finesse weapons and ranged weapons. And uh, raging, you need to use strength modifier to attack. So when you use a rapier with your strength, best of both worlds. That is indeed best so yeah, of level both worlds. One. A lot of damage. <laughs> yep. Yeah, but for this character, even though if it was mid-max, I would tell you, yes, that would be a lot of damage. But for this character, using only one weapon, carrying a shield, it's still, it competes. It still competes, but that's not the, the main objective of this character. The main objective is frontline and defend your allies. Okay. Now, at first level, we get sneak attack. Thieves can't. Sneak attack, we already explained it. Thieves can't is a rogue language, quote-unquote, or dialect they could use the only other rogues understand at level two which is right now we're talking level nine you get cunning action so as a bonus action you can hide disengage or dash and at level three we're going to pick up the roguish archetype and we're going to go for a scout and basically scout gives us survivalist you gain proficiency in the nature and survival skills if you don't already have it your proficiency is doubled for any ability check you make that uses either of those proficiencies. And this kind of thing kind of rubs me the wrong way because basically a scout rogue is as good as a ranger when it comes to... Uh, See, uh, the, the ranger discussion, I think we should leave it for another episode <laughs> because I think rangers got shafted in so many ways for the wrong reasons. 
sadly enough. And, but even rogues, let's be honest, even rogues get shafted. Yeah. So like rogues, yeah. rogues, monks, and rangers, I think, are three classes that literally need. I don't know, man. They need to figure it out for. I really hope D and D one figures it out for them. More damage, I hope. Because it it sucks doing something than having some an other class doing it better than the specialty of your class. It makes no sense to me. Yeah, one hundred percent. But they also get skirmisher, which is if you can move up up to half your speed as a reaction when an enemy ends his turn within five feet of you. This movement doesn't okay. provoke opportunity attacks. This so, is a very position, a very strong positional ability. Of course, I've had to put it in simpler terms. So now you can reckless attack while raging, mm -hmm. move as mm -hmm. much as you want, however you want, don't provoke attacks, do extra damage while sneakily, that's actually pretty strong. <laughs> so basically you can be anywhere you want, <laughs> essentially. Yeah. Yeah. No, because as a tank, the most important things, and tanking is my favorite thing to do, right? As okay. You need to be able to move, get to your allies, even if it's not your turn, you can reach your allies, you know? So if an enemy ends their turn next to you and you can reach an enemy that might be able to reach your ally, you can move there. And if they try to move, you can impose a reaction. And if opportunity attack, you hit them. If your turn comes along the next turn, they can't attack your allies anymore. So you like you, you, you lock enemies in place. So I think one of the, one of the things people should do is focus on getting either a magical item or something that allows them to move more, have more movement in order to cover more land, I guess, throughout the fight. Because mm -hmm. like on an on a outside scope, like the only thing missing is the extra movement per turn that uh, could benefit this class. Yes, yes, but we get that from, from Barbarian at level 5, fast movement. Basically, we increase our movement speed by 10 feet. Oh, I was talking like increasing for an extra 20 feet. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> I think there was a, a option for Shifter to do that between the transformations, but Shifter locks you into the choice that you chose at level one. Oh, yeah, yeah, so you have to like a commit a commitment. You have to do at the beginning. Yeah, it's a commitment, one hundred percent. At fourth level, you get you bump up your strength by two and your ASIs, and at five you get uncanny dodge, and that rounds up the whole build. All right, that's the Shifter Grizak, ladies and gentlemen. That's going to be a very interesting one to, pl to play around. But now we're moving on to the third one. And this one caught yes. us by surprise. We were not <laughs> expecting it to perform so well on YouTube. Man, sometimes the ones you least expect are the ones that, like, you know, <laughs> give you the best of mornings when you wake up and see, oh, this is good. But this one is fun. And I understand, like, this part of me understands because it's so much fun. So even role play this type of character, but this type of character is not easy to play. This is yeah. I'll be honest. This is not easy to play because it demands a lot of role play from the player. Uh, for me, this so, yes, yeah, yes, I agree one hundred percent that it takes a lot of skill, but it also takes a lot of comf comfort in the table. If you're in a table that you're comfortable in, this character would be so much that too. Fun. It's true. It's true. If you're comfortable with your DM, comfortable with the players you're playing with, and they allow you to step out of your comfort zone this character can actually make you shine and the rule of cool can be applied in more ways than one so without further ado we're going to introduce the third build his name is squib and he is the plagiarizing editor so do enlighten us on this copycat so but first when i was looking at kenku and i read the ability mimicry i thought it would be interesting to create let's this uh tinkering kenku that like uh, steals ideas of magical items and calls them his own <laughs> and the more i looked into it the more i uh, the more i started like expanding on the idea and wizard as well piqued my interest and we'll see in a bit how it all connects together so as a kenku as i said earlier you get mimicry you get kenku recall which you get uh ability scores not ability scores you get uh proficiencies and skills, abilities, ability checks. You get expert duplication. When you copy writing or craft work produced by yourself or someone else, you have advantage on ability check to make, to, to basically to make the exact duplicate. Yeah, copying, forging. For medium. 
basically. And for abilities, we're going to take 8 in strength, 13 in dexterity, 13 in constitution, 15 in intelligence, 12 in wisdom, and 12 in charisma. The that distribution here, I went for a more roleplay focus as well because you could dump your wisdom and charisma to bump up your constitution to 15 and be healthy and survive more. But being charismatic is important for your mimicry racial feat to be able to copy other people. Well, yeah, of course, if you want to be a a good talker and you like to copy things, you need a certain level of eloquence, yes. to say the least. And for ability score improvements, I'm going to go one point in dexterity, one point in intelligence, and one point in constitution, rounding up all our stats. So 14 dex, 14 con, and 16 intelligence. What for about the background? background yeah, we're going to go for Sage. Basically, well, the fits. plagiarizing editor. Yeah, he's a Kenku that likes to learn, but at the same time, he likes to plagiarize. <laughs> Steal information. So, he, so basically, he fakes it till he makes it. <laughs> In a sense, yes. That's pretty much what it is. Yeah. So, starting with plagiarizing editor, we're going to start with Artificer. Getting All right. our. Uh, yeah, we have our proficiency in thieves' tools and tinker tools. So, from the get go, you can lockpick doors, tinker and create small items with magical tinkering doing kenku things basically and you get spell casting for spell casting uh i'd consider you picking up guidance as a cantrip and cure wounds they're very good and that's about it for level one and at level two we're gonna take our last artificer level and we're gonna get our artificer infusions for our Enhanced Artificer Infusions, I'll be picking up Enhanced Arcane Focus and Mind Sharpener. Now, Enhanced Arcane Focus gives us a plus one bonus to spell attack rolls. And Mind Sharpener gives us advantage on Constitution Saving Throw as a reaction. And it has charges. Now, the reason I started with Artificer is because I wanted to have a high-ish AC to pick up Scale Mail. And two daggers, just in case. Uh, with our 14 dexterity, it bumps up our AC to 16. And for a caster, I believe that's pretty good. That's actually really good. You know, 16 AC is not that bad. You can also use a shield. <laughs> Bumping it up to 18. Oh, but imagine using your shield as a spell focus. <laughs> spell focus. I think Casting through your shield. <laughs> but the thing is, I don't. You can go for a shield, by the way. That's that's the optimal option. But I wanted to go for a more caster aesthetic. Sure, I have the A16 AC, but I'm not gonna. You can go for it if you want. But yeah, if the campaign is giving you a bit of headache, a lot of enemies are focusing you. Pick up that shield. You have proficiency; it should be fine. Fifty gold, I don't think, is hard to obtain in the early campaigns. Uh, and yeah, at level three, we're gonna go wizard. At wizard level 1, we get spell casting. We get arcane recovery. And then our second level in wizard, making us a total level 4, we get our arcane tradition and we're going to be order of scribes. Ah, uh, okay. So now it makes sense. So you <laughs> copy also... you copy everything into your book. Your book is magical. You can steal information. You tinker. Yeah, and then you edit it. Yeah. <laughs> So essentially, like he's like the perfect scholar to not have the student because he'll steal all your work and make it his own. Yes, but he will edit it at least. So you, he stole oh, shatter from you, yes, <laughs> but he will make it fire damage. I think he just removes the, the word the from the homework and that's it. <laughs> and yeah, so as Order of Scribes, spells are going to be very important. And spells oh, that I would recommend throughout this build are the following. Mind Sliver, Psychic Damage, Chill Touch, Chromatic Orbs gives you a lot of damage options, Magic Missile gives you Force Magic, for Force type damage I mean, and Call Lightning. Now, at first level spell, I recommend picking up Ice Knife, because it gives you piercing and ice damages that you can change. 
and it's and very an AOE. It's an AOE, single target first first, and then it's an AOE. It's very uh, good. Yeah. So I'll go through the spells per level, the best spell in my opinion, damage wise. And this character is a more of an AOE damaging character. So yeah, at level uh, level so when you reach level three with wizard, you get first level, you get to be, you should pick up ice knife. At level five, you get second level spell casting, and you should pick up shatter. At seventh level, you get third level spell casting, fireball. And of course, fourth, not a surprise. At, yeah. <laughs> at level nine, you get fourth level spell casting, and I'd pick up wall of fire. And at level 11, you would get your fifth level spell casting, and I would recommend picking up Cone of Cold. So if I, under, if I follow correctly, we're going all the way wizard up until level 12. And for yes. the ability improvement, you're of course going to put them all into intelligence, right? All into intelligence, yes. And uh, to reiterate on some abilities that I've missed on. So level 6, you get ability score improvement, as we discussed. Uh, you get Manifest Mind at level 8, so 6 levels into Wizard. And you can conjure forth the mind of your Awakened Spellbook. As a bonus action, while the book is on your person, you can cause the mind to manifest as a tiny spectral object hovering in an unoccupied space of your, chi of your choice within 60 feet of you. The spectral mind is intangible and doesn't occupy its space, and it sheds dim light in a 10-foot radius. It looks like a ghostly tome, a cascade, a text, or a scholar from the past. And this could be a, a very free, nice it's a flavor. Free pet. Basically, you can like make it your old master that you stole all his <laughs> his works. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. And like your DM could have fun with it. He could like voice your scholar and like try to throw shade at you. <laughs> this character is a lot of. Uh, that's, that's that's what I liked about this character. A lot of like out of combat weight to it. There's so much you it's could like play fun. around with this character. It's stable fun. It's comic relief. It's it's a very nice character to play. In terms of power levels, how would you put him at? You said oh, he focuses guy... on AOE damage, but let's say you're yes. dealing with one boss. Is he still going to be as useful? Yes. Uh, you can always upcast Magic Missile and pick whatever element you want. Uh, scribes, the beauty about Scribes is even if you are a new player or if you are an old player, as long as you have some RPG background knowledge or some understanding of elements and how they affect specific enemies, you do your research in the game, learning about enemies and understanding what they're weak to, testing around with your abilities and see the, the, the optimization of it is literally dependent on the player himself and how he uses it. So if you are a good player or you actually take your time to explore the options of your character, this character is going to perform greatly. But if you're lazy and you just stick to the same spell every time with the same element, always picking force damage, hoping that no resistances. <laughs> so then basically you're telling people to step out of their comfort zone, both in and out of combat, and try to experiment as much as possible. Another thing, this character is a scholar. And when you play as a player, play D&D like a scholar. Try to get as much information as possible. Because information is very strong for this character. Uh, clearly, information is key for everything. Uh, I personally, as a as a DM and well, as a player, I should say, not I'm not going to talk about the DM perspective. As a player's perspective, my favorite wizard subclass is the Order of the Scribes. I find it fascinating how you can manipulate elements into anything. It's a lot of fun. I find. Mm -hmm. All right. And so, any closing comment about the Kenku before uh, we move forward? Squib is fun. Even though he plagiarizes, he's a good boy. And that's about it. <laughs> we didn't talk about the alignment. The alignment can be anything. You can, uh, you can yeah. play him chaotic, you can play neutral, you can play him evil or good. Uh, he fits, I, prefer I think he fits everywhere. Good. <laughs> chaotic good? <laughs> like he has the best intentions, but... <laughs> they don't always manifest in the most honorable ways. Basically. <laughs> nice. And now nice, for nice. the last character. Yes, the last character I think is it's the first time, it's the first uh, Sandstrider build, isn't it? Yes, yeah. so then Sandstrider. So all right, Sandstrider is a custom race. Exactly. For those who don't know, Sandstrider is a homebrew race that we're designing from the ground up. Mm -hmm. And to all give right. you an idea about Sandstriders, basically they're they're a type of humans. They're a type of humans that has that lived in deserty areas. 
and they evolved over time because of the magic and the, and the desert and the different elements that affect their habitats. And so they have the following features. Uh, so they age just as normal humans do. Their alignments, so for this, it's a bit more specific than normal humans because the Sandstriders, being an honor-driven human society, they would typically lean towards a lawful alignment. So you can be evil, you can be good, you can be neutral, but the concept of honor is deeply ingrained in their society. So that's something that is very important when you're creating a Sandstrider. Uh, their sizes, just like the human size, they're, they vary widely. They can go from barely feet, five feet tall to well over six feet tall. But their size is medium. Now, this is where the changes start. Their base walking speed is 35 feet. Five feet more than normal humans. And they have dark vision. Uh, I think it's, it's, from, it's because of the terrain that they're used to. Mm -hmm. It gives them so, more movement. Yeah, right? that advantage, yes. And now they also get dark vision because thanks to their living conditions, sand striders evolve naturally and obtain dark vision, which allows them to see clearly in low light conditions and during the cool desert nights. They also get a racial feature called sand striding. You can move across difficult terrain without expanding extra movement if you are using your walking speed on the ground or floor. And this is because of their sand striding. <laughs> they also get dune tactics. You can take the disengage or dash, dash action as bonus action on each of your turns. They get Sand Strider's weapon training. You have proficiency with scimitars, short swords, and hand crossbows. But they are limited when it comes to their ability uh, score increases. They get two points in their constitution, and they get one point ability score of your choice. And yeah. Well, yeah, it makes sense to put them into more health. So the idea behind these these uh, they're not even, they're not even variant humans. They're basically a different breed of humans completely. Yeah, evolved humans. Uh, well, they fit. They, it's true they're called sand striders. We gave them a very deserty theme, but you can fit them in almost anywhere. You can put them in Baldur's Gate, Waterdeep. Uh, the whole sort goes. There's still advantage to have the dark vision on a human, and at the same time, they can come from where Thay is, the Wizard of Thay. They can come from that zone. They can come from the east side of uh, Faerun, where the desert areas are. So th they can fit very well in almost any campaign. Yeah. Now, so yeah, start, the character we're, uh, yeah, go, the character we're unveiling, sorry, uh, we didn't even tell his name yet. His name is Ron, and he's the mm -hmm. desert tamer. He's going to be serving as the guide for the group that goes into the expedition. Am I correct? Yes, so he's the local, he's the guide that will be showing our party, the flute charmer, the archaeologist, the veteran defender, the mercenary, and the editor, the plagiarizing editor, which is the scholar, where they should go, what area they should, and how to traverse the desert. And yeah, so starting at level one, we were going to put our ASI, one point into wisdom from the race. And we're going to start with a ranger. Our abilities are going to be 10 points in strength, 14 in dexterity, 14 in constitution, 10 in intelligence, 15 in wisdom, and 8 in charisma. So from the get-go, you start with 16 con, 16 wisdom, and 14 dex. Uh, for your equipment, you should start with a quarter staff and studded leather. Scale mill works, but I prefer studded leather for the, for the sneaky aspects that we're going to go for. So yeah, level one, we're going to go with the custom uh, ranger from uh, Tasha's Cauldron of Everything. Uh, we get that level one favorite foe. And we also get our proficiencies. Level 1 Ranger doesn't bring a lot to the table, but we're here only for 3 levels. At 2nd level, we're going to get our fighting style, and I'm going to opt for taking defense. Since for this character, we're not specifically going for damage. We're going more of summoning, to say the least. Uh, and we get our first level spellcasting from Ranger. At level 3, we're going to get our archetype. Now, for our bestial, for, for, for our... Uh, 
Ranger archetype, I'm going for Beastmaster and taking the new Beastmaster with our primal companions and taking Beast of the Land. So far, your character is very well rounded. You are pretty average. You can attack, build your pet attack. You're strong for a level 3 to some extent. But this is going to be our last level in Ranger because we're not going to be focused mostly on our martial aspect. We're going to be mostly focusing on our summoning aspect or spellcasting aspect. And I guess that's four, where the, name, Druid one. the Tamer name comes into play, right? Yes. Taming animals? Basically, and summoning them. So at first level of Druid, which is like total level 4, we get our spell level, our spell casting, and we also pick up Druidic. And second level, we get Druid Circle, and we're going to go for Circle of the Shepherd. Circle of the Shepherd is the go-to summoner Druid subclass, other than the, the Wild Flame, I think it's called. Now, you get Speech of the Woods. Now you can converse with beasts and many fae. You learn to speak and write uh, Sylvan. It's a very flavorful feature, but the feature we're here for mechanically is Spirit Totem. You can call forth nature spirits to influence the world around you as a bonus action, and there are three of them. Beer Spirit, Hawk Spirit, Unicorn Spirit. The Unicorn Spirit protects nearby allies. You get advantage on all ability checks made to detect creatures. In addition, you cast spell using a spell slot that restores hit points to any creature inside or outside the aura. Each creature of your choice in the aura also regains hit points equal to your druid level. So basically a healing buff. My favorite between all these would have to be the bear spirit. Grants your allies uh, plus 5 temporary hit points plus your druid level. And your allies get advantage on strength checks. Your allies also mean your pet and your summons. So you can literally let your pet try to hold down a monster, grapple them, and they would have advantage on their strength checks. Now at level 3, we get our second level spell casting. Now we're at total level 6. And we would be picking up the spell Summon Beast. And what Summon Beast does is the following. A concentration, level 2 spell, Conjuration. You call for a bestial spirit that manifests in an unoccupied place. The creature is an ally to you and your companions in combat. The creature shares your initiative count, but it takes its turn immediately after yours. It obeys your verbal command. No action required by you. If you don't issue a command, it doesn't. it takes the dodge action to avoid danger. So Does it demand concentration? Yes, only concentration. So right now you have comfortably two pets that you are buffing with your spirit totems. Plus, you yourself, you can dish out damage with other spells. So we're going to have a, a, an, an actual pet that uses our bonus action. And we can have the summoned pet that uses our free action, let's say, to... Yeah, it doesn't use any action. Yeah. So we have two pets out one after the other doing actions after us. That's pretty interesting. Yep. Now at level seven we get wild chip improvement. We can also transform ourselves. <laughs> and we get everyone's uh, a beast, I, huh? <laughs> everyone's a beast. If we, I wanna in this level you could do what you want for a feat, but I highly recommend going for a ritual caster. And for Ritual Caster, I want to pick up Find Familiar and Detect Magic from Ritual Caster Wizard. And the reason we want Find Familiar because we still want a pet that's small, that can fly, like the owl, for example. Uh, scout for us, come back, so many advantages. It's a concentration, so... We can't have it up with our other pet, but... Having options or choices is very important. And besides, this one is a concentration, so we don't need to really use a spell slot for it. Now, after that, we're going to get our fifth level into Druid, getting our third level spell casting, and picking up Summoned Fae and Conjure Animals. Two other very strong summoning abilities. So this is where the build comes into play, right? Uh, this is where the build comes into play. If you played 5e for a while now, you might know about this. 
about how you could use uh, actually not summon Fey. It's the next one, Conjure Woodland Beings. But basically, this build can go really out of control, real quick. But yeah, at level nine, so six levels into Druid, we get Mighty Summoner. Starting at sixth level, beasts in Fey that you conjure are more resilient than normal. Any beast or Fey summoned or created by spell that you cast gains the following benefits: they get two extra hit points per head die, plus the damage they do is magical, for the sake of overcoming resistances which is a very strong buff for your pets your summons now at level 10 which is now we're talking seven levels into druid you get conjure woodland beings conjure minor elemental and summon elemental conjure woodland beings being the strongest and i will uh, i'll let you read the spell and decide why it's the strongest <laughs> Now, at level 11, we're going to be, I think that's 8 levels into Druid. Yes, we get Wild Shape Improvement. And at level 11, we also get our Ability Score Improvement. We can put our Ability Score Improvement into Constitution. Put it at 18 if you want to be healthier. Or Wisdom if you're, if you're actually using your spell slots for damaging spells other than while you're summoning creatures. And after that, we get our fifth level spells at level 12, picking up Conjure Elemental. Now, I still recommend upcasting Conjure Woodland Beings, but Conjure Elemental is a very strong option as well. It's a lot of summoning from Elementals to Fae to Animals to Woodland Beings. Yeah. Are, what's going to be your trick to help the player, I guess? Also the DM, but mainly the player, to keep track of every single beast they summon or creature or fey or whichever. So so I've, when I first went for this build, I was thinking of how many permanent pets I can have out at a single time. And for that build, I, was, I opted more for the Wildfire Druid because they have their pet permanently, doesn't need concentration. And then you could use other spells and plus other classes to get more pets. But for me, that was too much of a headache for the players, other players at the, tar at, the, at the table, and for the DM. So I opted for one pet that's consistent, which is your hunter pet, or your ranger pet, and whatever spell you're con con concentrating on at the moment. Now, for player etiquette, I would recommend players using this build not to summon a lot of creatures. It can drag out fights, make some fights boring for some allies friends at the table and for your DM to keep tabs on all the creatures that you're summoning plus all the creatures that he needs to roll for and all the saving throws when AoEs hits. <laughs> so oh, yeah, if, if, like... if you have like 20, 20 creatures on the board plus <laughs> whatever enemies, it kind of adds up. Yeah. So try to go for that because a lot of these, like for example, Conjure Woodland Beings, it gives you the options to either summon a lot of 0 0.5 or 0 0.5 difficulty or like or one two difficulty right so like always try to go for the smaller number unless you really have to and you make sure that it's okay with the table but other than that it's a very fun build that if you play correctly like when it comes outside of combat to scout ahead and to look around and with your pets and whatnot can give you very valuable informations about campaigns that the campaigns you're but playing just on a side note for players and DMs alike, um, I understand a lot of DMs, well, a lot of DMs don't play with homebrew rules and some of them like to stay by the book. So adding a homebrew race is like almost a no-no. For those that want to try this but cannot use the Sand Strider race that we homebrewed, you can play with the Wood Elf. It works almost exactly the same and would fill the void that the Sand Strider fills out. Am I correct? Exactly right. Okay, sounds good. Sounds good. So these are the four builds for this week. Man, these characters are a lot of fun. And honestly, if uh, people want to set up a whole campaign just around these four or separately use them in different campaigns, I think we uh, we did a home run on these guys. Yeah, they're, they're actually super fun. 
I was also so to recap. For, yeah, tell me. Go ahead. I was thinking because the blue charmer and the plagiarizing editor, as a duo, are extremely powerful when it comes for your party's casters, because they both have access to support spells, they both have access to control and damaging. So basically, let's say you're 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 basically in a in a, in a campaign that everybody wants to play fighter, barbarian, paladin, hexblade, or you know you could pick up a plagiarizing editor and you can cover for as many casters as you could have had. <laughs> or the flute yeah, I can tell. also does the trick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But technically, you have three casters because even the the desert tamer keeps summoning yeah. creatures so he's like using the the pets as a spell casting but to recap the characters for this week we started off with serpentia the flute charmer then we followed up with grizak the veteran defender and then we had squib the plagiarizing editor and finally rounded up by ron the desert tamer and all of these guys uh, we put them together in what we call the ruins of iridia a new zone we're unveiling this week. Now, this zone, Ali worked with the, uh, to build these characters. Like we said, they fit anywhere, but we wanted to give them a theme. An archaeologist, a, a defender, a guide, a ch- and someone who likes to get artifacts and copy ancient works and make them his own. So that, that was the theme behind these guys. But of course, they can be applied to any campaign in any flavor that you want. Now, the Ruins of Radio, we're releasing a video uh, by the end of the week, as usual, that explains the lore of the land and the story behind what Iridia is all about. It's actually a very exciting zone since it used to be a flourishing metropolis in an olden time. And due to the greed of magic, they ended up self imploding. And so the ruins were pretty much dug in deep into the sand. And they're one of the causes of why the ardent waste is full of sand as it is and magic is scattered everywhere we have two zones that actually impacted the whole land one of them is the ruins of viridia and so with these exploration i guess the, the team of explorer explorers that we built their job is to basically uncover the secrets of the past since for some odd reasons the actual ruins are starting to emerge out of the sand and into the wild and people can start spotting them as they're migrating or nomading across the desert and since they offer so much potential in terms of ancient lore and magic it opens up a big door for bandits for raiders for scholars for political enthusiasts that want to you know govern ancient powers and there's going to be a delicate balance and one of the characters that we're going to be talking about in the episode, you're going to know more about him. I'll keep him for now as a secret. He's going to be, his job is to make sure that that basically the whole world is balanced and that it doesn't go out of control. Now, Ali, I don't know about your, your thoughts about the land. So give, give people a bit of perspective on how excited you are about releasing Iridia to the masses. For me, whenever it comes to runes, uh, it comes to ancient magic. I just think of magic items, and I get excited. <laughs> so you're so, looking at it as a player. You know, I want to just dive yeah. there and get as many <laughs> items as possible. <laughs> you're so you're the raider, <laughs> basically. <laughs> but no, having an area with like so much culture and so much change that happened, and people discovering the past, uncovering secrets, understanding the mistakes of their predecessors, and trying to stop the same mistake to happen again is a very strong hook to a story. True. And it's, that is yeah, very true. as I said, magic items. <laughs> well, I, I guess with this, I, uh, we concluded pretty much this week's episode. I think this is our longest episode yet, last week being our uh, shortest, and this week being our longest. Any closing comment, Ali, for every, every, all the listeners? Uh, try these builds. Have fun. Tweak them if you want. They're up to you. Be your own plagiarizing editor. <laughs> I allow it. <laughs> no pun intended. And, <laughs> and yeah, that's about it for me. All right, everybody. Thank you very much for tuning in this week. It was a lot of fun talking about these four builds. Stay tuned 
for the end of the week, of course, for the Ruins of Iridia, it's gonna be we're gonna be diving more into that. Our 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 favorite bard, he's gonna be uh, unveiling more. He's gonna open the lid, as they say, on this new area. And stay tuned for next week, since we're gonna have four new other builds again, as usual, and exploring a brand new zone. But next week's episode is gonna be a bit special, since we're introducing, I guess, our main character for the narrative that we're gonna be building. Am I correct? Yes. It's very exciting for Perfect. me. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's exciting for everyone. You know, <laughs> uh, having a, a living world and having someone live in it and seeing it in a different perspective is also interesting for listeners and people watching. So thanks again, everybody. Have yourself a great weekend. For those in Canada, have a good Thanksgiving. And for everyone else, thank you for listening. Take care and have a good one. Peace.